Well, we are going to be looking uh, at a couple of different texts this morning. So my encouragement to you this morning is not necessarily to find these in your Bible, but to look here in your bulletins. We're going to be looking at Matthew 11 and also at Luke 14. Matthew 11 and Luke 14. Uh, What do you think of when you hear the word liturgy? When you hear the word liturgy? Uh, Usually we think of worship services and actually what we just are doing and involved in this morning. But our daily lives have a liturgy also. We have routines. We have habits that shape who we are. Uh, In her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Warren writes that it said that if, if humans rescue a baby wild animal, that baby will become imprinted and start to think that all good things come from people. And so it'll lose the ability to actually live on its own. Uh, she says that, and she used that to, to say that she had realized that she had a morning routine that was imprinting her. Uh, she said her daily routine was to, to immediately grab her smartphone, check email, check Twitter, check Facebook, check her news feeds before she even got out of bed. And she writes this, my day was imprinted by technology. And like a mountain lion cub attached to her humans, I'd look for all good things to come from a glowing screen. And she says that technology began to fill every moment and every like spare moment of her day. She says she would ignore her kids' cries for milk and say, just a minute, I, I'm checking something, I'll be right with you. She writes, I fed on a near constant stream of news, entertainment, stimulation, likes, and retweets. Without realizing it, I had slowly built a habit, a steady resistance to and dread of boredom. Uh, She had been imprinted by her screen. Uh, All good things come from this. You might even say that she was being discipled by her phone. That that was was her discipler in her life was her smartphone. Um, We're in a short series where we've been talking about just that subject discipleship. Uh, What is a disciple? How are we discipled? Last week uh, we said that as a church we've taken as our purpose following out the Great Commission to go and to make disciples. To reach people for Christ and to equip them to serve in His kingdom. This week we're going to ask, well if it's our job to go and to make disciples, what is this thing that we're making? What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think you can define it this way. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has renounced everything in order to be imprinted by Jesus. It's someone who has renounced everything in order to be imprinted by Jesus, to be shaped by Jesus. And what I want to ask you this morning as we think about this is, uh, or I'd rather for you to ask yourself is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I being shaped by Jesus? And then why would anybody want to be shaped by him? So that's what we're going to think about as we look at these passages together. Let's read these, or I'll read these. You follow along. Uh, The first is from Matthew 11.25. This is God's word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then from Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him and turned and said to him, if anyone, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, these are words that are both comforting and challenging. Uh, And so I pray that you would use them in that way in our life. That you would both challenge us where we need to be challenged and comfort us where we need to be comforted. And we pray it in your name. Amen. So... What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Um, a disciple is someone who renounces everything that he has in order to be imprinted by Jesus. Uh, in the Luke passage, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, I've got to come before your mama and your daddy and your wife and your husband and, and your kids and even your own life. Uh, Verse 33, he says, Any any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's very strong language. Uh, If you were to come from another country, the United States, to become a citizen, uh, you have to swear an oath of allegiance to the United States. And this is the oath of allegiance. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant services in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civil direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Jesus says, if you are going to be my disciple, you have to, in effect, swear an oath of allegiance to me. 
I have to be the first and foremost priority in your life. You'll have to give up your life and your claim to it and your dreams and your claims on them and submit yourself to my rule. Uh, in the Matthew passage, Jesus is dealing with a, a little different crowd and so he's, it's, it has a little different nuance. But this is in effect what he's saying when he says, uh, take my yoke upon you. Uh, a, a yoke was a wooden frame that was used to join two animals in order they might plow or that they might carry some sort of burden. And it was used as a metaphor for coming under the authority of someone. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means coming under His authority, coming under His rule. Uh, but coming under Jesus' authority and Jesus' rule means renouncing allegiance, ultimate allegiance to all the other authorities in your life, even your own. You have to give up your life to Him. You have to do as He directs. Now, I never served in the military, uh, but this feels a little bit like a drill sergeant saying, when, when I say jump, you say how high. Or, you know, your life ended. You belong to me. The, the moment you showed up at, at boot camp, you don't belong to yourself anymore. I own you for the rest of your time here. Except Jesus is saying, I own you from now on. You belong to me. Now, that, that sound, I think that would sound a little bit crazy in any culture. That sounds especially crazy in our culture where we are all about independence. And we are all about personal autonomy. You don't like your job, change your job. You don't like your town, change your town. You don't like your spouse, change your spouse. You don't like your gender, change your gender. Uh, you don't like your reality, change your reality. Try virtual reality, or Samsung says in that, that fun ostrich commercial, do what you can't. Do what you can't. A virtual reality will enable you to actually do what you can't. Um, when I was in college, I was actually, this is an embarrassing revelation, I was actually a little bit of a J. Crew fanboy. And, and, and some of you are just like, I never would have guessed that. And others of you are saying that explains a whole lot. Um, but, but I was reading an article about J. Crew this week, or a, a, a paraphrase of an article. There's an article in the New Yorker entitled, Why J. Crew's Vision of Preppy America Failed. And the guy who was saying this said that one of the reasons he feels like it's failing is that he no longer wanted to be told by a company that I was or wanted to be a certain kind of person. I didn't want to be a member of the J. Crew crew or any crew. And then he said he's noticed that the ads in his Facebook feed and as he's online, they, they're no longer as much uh, models wearing clothing, but they're just kind of free-floating items of clothing like a shirt or, or a pair of pants or whatever with, without a model attached to them and he says the implication was that I was a self-defining self-sufficient person I didn't need to aspire to some other life I could build one myself without entering some bubble like subculture these days we prefer the subtle manipulation of the algorithm to the overt glamour of the style guide it's luxurious to think that we are choosing for ourselves. And you, you kind of hear what he's saying. I don't want to be, I don't like them anymore because I don't want to feel like I'm defined by them. I want to have the power to choose for myself uh, and, and to define myself or at least have the illusion that I'm choosing for myself and defining myself. We don't want anyone ruling over us. 
We don't want to be defined by J. Crew ads. We don't want to be defined by nature. We don't want to be defined by nurture. We don't want to be defined or ruled over by anybody. We want to be able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and, and, and to be or to construct whatever persona we want to have. And Jesus walks into all of that and says, you've got you to give all that up if you're going to follow me. You have to renounce your independence. And that, that, that just feels like crazy talk to us. But that's what a disciple of Jesus is. It's someone who has renounced all of the authorities, renounced even their own authority, and come under the authority of Jesus. Now, why in the world would I want to do that? Why, why do disciples do that? Why do they renounce everything to follow Jesus? Well, it's because they want to be imprinted by Jesus. They want to be shaped by Jesus. You're like, well, okay. Well, well why would I want that? Let me give you, let me give you um, two or three reasons here. There are others, but just a couple. Number one, the reason they do this is because they've seen who Jesus is. They've seen who Jesus is. Uh, Verse 27 here in in the Matthew passage is a little confusing, but I think the gist of it is uh, much the same as as we read in John 1. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The disciple of Jesus willingly renounces everything because he has received the God-given vision of who Jesus is. And he's seen that Jesus is the one who makes God known. And Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. And he realizes that if I am to know God, I've got to go through Jesus. So I'll gladly take on his yoke. I'll gladly go through his school of discipleship. Um, put it like this. Let's say that you were, you're a basketball player and you want to work on your jump shot this summer. And I come up to you and say... Come to my house, come to my court in the backyard, and we're going to work on this all summer. And you've got, to, you've got to give up everything else and completely submit yourself to my teaching. You've got to shoot the way I tell you to shoot. You've got to unlearn all the patterns you had before. And you would probably look at me like, that's crazy, I'm not doing that. I don't know that you know anything in the world about basketball. But if, but if Steph Curry told you that, or Kevin Durant told you that, you would go... Okay, sign me up. I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Or if you're a piano player, and, and I said, come to my house, we've got a piano in the basement, and I will teach you how to play the piano. You just have to do exactly what... Don't shake your head at me, young lady. <laughs> and you have, to, you have to do exactly what I tell you to do. You say, that's crazy. But if, if Emma Kendrick or Cindy Swicegood, maybe, told you, come and, and do what I tell you to do, you would say, okay, I'll submit myself to that. If you're a medical student, and I said, come through my school of medicine. We used to have a little dot kit when our kids were younger, and we carried around Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I can tell you how to mix those and, you know, and get the right. You say, no, you're crazy. But if George had had said, come, come learn how to be a pediatrician for me, you go, okay, I, I can do that. See, whether you're willing to submit to someone's authority depends on who they are, right? And so if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really is the Son of God, if he really does make God known, then it's not crazy 
to come under his authority. It's not crazy to renounce everything else in order to know him. In fact, it makes perfect sense to come under his authority. A disciple renounces everything because they've seen who Jesus is. Uh, Secondly, a disciple renounces everything because because they've figured out that they've got to serve somebody, they're going to serve somebody, and that Jesus is the better master who will actually give you rest. They've figured out you've got to serve somebody, but Jesus is the master I can serve and actually receive rest from him. I was, um, I was listening to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson on this passage this week, and he made the comment that this is the most, that ours is the most restless age since the Middle Ages. And then I picked up a commentary from a J.C. Ryle that's written in 1856, which is not quite the Middle Ages, and he said, unrest is one great characteristic of the world. I'm like, we've always been like that. We've always been restless. The Roman poet Horace said, no one lives content. No one lives content. So we're always looking for something to satisfy us. Something to satisfy us. We're, we're scrolling, we're searching, we're trying to find a little bit of infotainment, we're looking for another dopamine hit, we're trying to find fulfillment. When we're young, we're convinced it's just out of reach, and at the next stage of life, I'm finally going to get there, and then I'm going to find fulfillment. As we get older, we start thinking, I'm never going to really find it, and we can, we can get bummed out about all of that. We also fight with this feeling, in the words of Brene Brown, that we're never enough then I'm never enough. And so we're always perfecting ourselves and trying to make ourselves better. And so we, we busy ourselves doing this. And when we fail at whatever we're doing, we're busy with, with mental self-condemnation about our failure. We wrestle with the anxiety of living in a fallen world, and so we're busy with worrying about everything. We live in religious cultures that give us endless checklists of things to do which become this burden weighing us down. Now notice in each case, we've yoked ourselves to a master. We've become someone or something's disciple. We've apprenticed ourselves to someone. We search for satisfaction and we yoke ourselves to those things that we think are going to bring us satisfaction. We search for perfection and our masters tell us to work harder and that we're not doing enough. We bow down to the idol of control in order to try to stave off our anxiety. We submit ourselves to religious checklists, thinking that's going to secure blessing from God. But none of these masters that we yoke ourselves to give us any rest. None of them give us any rest. But but think about money. Money, what does money say? It says, you don't have enough of me. And then what does it say once you have a little bit? Well, you've got to figure out a way to keep me safe so that you don't lose me. Or you need more, you need just a little bit more. Or you, you can pinch one more penny. And so it never gives you any rest. Work says, stay later, work harder, rise higher. Power and influence says, don't let anybody see your weakness. Be strong. Popularity says, monitor your social media feeds constantly. Manage your image. 
Anxiety says, maybe if you worried about this just a little bit more, then everything would be okay. Addiction say, just one more whatever, and then you'll be satisfied. We yoke ourselves all these things, but none of them give us any rest. They give us no rest. But then here's Jesus who says, renounce everything, and that sounds so dramatic. And he says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Now, in the, the immediate context, he probably has in mind the Pharisees who made all these, had all these extra biblical requirements that they burdened the people with and weighed them down with. But really, I think his words apply to all of our self-salvation projects. Because all of our projects create heavy burdens, don't they? And they're wearisome. And we, we labor under perfecting ourselves or finding satisfaction or whatever it is. And our, our false masters are never satisfied. We've never done enough. And when we fail these masters, they tell us we're worthless. And we believe them. And so we go back to try to work harder or we give up. But Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Come under my authority. Learn from me. I'm I'm gentle. I'm lowly of heart. I'm not a harsh master. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me and find rest for your souls. Now, how how does renouncing everything and coming under Jesus' authority give us rest? Well, first of all, when we come under Jesus' authority... Jesus takes the burden of the law that we talked about in the catechism. He takes the burden of the law and he puts that on his shoulders. He he yokes himself, as it were, to the law for us. And he measures up. He, He does what the law requires. And then he takes the condemnation that we deserve for not doing what the law requires. He becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He lived and died for us so that the burden of perfect obedience to the law of God could be removed from us. He bore the weight and the consequences of our sin on His back so that we could know rest. So that we could quit jumping through religious and spiritual hoops because Jesus has done what needed to be done to bring us into a relationship with God. I don't have to go and try to work for that And so I can rest. Uh, Secondly, coming under Jesus' authority gives us rest because he gives us this new identity as sons and daughters of God so that we don't have to create a social media persona that everyone envies. Uh, Emma sent me a quote this week from a book on social media she's reading. And the girl in the book was talking about selfies. And she said, the goal in selfies is to love myself so much that others wonder why. I just, so people like so I'm just in love with myself. I'm so great, and so therefore you should be in love with me too. We don't have to be driven by that if we're yoked to Jesus. We don't have to be driven by whether we're trending, by what other people think of us, because we have an identity. 
as a child of the King. And we can rest in that. And then coming under Jesus' authority gives us rest. Because that's actually how we're made to work. It's how we're designed to function. Uh, A fish is designed to to swim in the water, not out of the water. An ostrich is designed to to walk, not to fly. Uh, Virtual reality goggles are fun, but you don't have to go look at this commercial. They're they're fun, but but they can't actually make an ostrich fly. You and I are designed to be under God's authority. That's where we actually work best. And the amazing thing is, when we come under God's authority, we actually, as it were, fly. We can fly because that's where we have freedom. That's where we can enjoy the liberty of being who God has made us to be. But that's only found under His authority. A disciple renounces everything to come under the authority of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way we can know God. And because Jesus is the only one who can give rest for our souls. And so my question then to you is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you you learning Jesus? Uh, And and let's be honest here, learning Jesus can be a slow learn, right? It is a slow learn, rather. We don't just like sign up and then we, we got it all figured out. Uh, it's, there's a discipleship process. Learning Jesus is a slow learn. But I'm coming more and more convinced, kind of tying back to our, our opening illustration, that this technology we have, whether it's in a TV screen or, or a smartphone or whatever, that that's actually a detriment to being a disciple of Jesus. or It can become a detriment to that. Because what did she say? It protects us from having any boring moment in our day. All right, there, there's always a place for me to be entertained and to stimulated. And I think something that protects us from ever being bored uh, is actually a hindrance, actually works against the boring habits that help us to follow Jesus. All right, because the habits that Jesus gives us to follow him are boring habits. Can I just, can I just say that and relieve you? Because you all feel that way. Uh, because the, the habits that, that he gives us to follow him are reading the Bible and praying and meditating and silence. And, and, and we're kind of being habituated to a world in which there is, there is no silence and there is no slowness and there is no boredom. Um, but anyway... Something is shaping you. Something is putting its imprint on you. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your co-workers. Uh, maybe it's the, the people you follow online. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's your technology. I, I don't know what it is. But something is shaping you. And something is imprinting you every day. Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Who, whose disciple are you? Whose disciple are you? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, man, I, I pray that you would see what you require of us, but actually to see also that what you require of us is an open door into something beautiful.
that that giving up everything and coming to you is actually the doorway to rest. And so, Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would help us to rest and to, to more and more learn you and to let go of these other things that master us and have authority over us and help us more and more to, to take the time and to figure out what that looks like, to take the time to actually be discipled by you and to be imprinted by you so that we can learn you and love you. And we pray in your name. Amen.